All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the first three verses verses of Genesis 2 this morning. But before we jump into Genesis 2, here's what we have looked at thus far. We have said we don't want to, as we look at creation, we don't want to fall in love with creation. We want to fall in love with the creator. We want to give our attention to the God of creation. And so thus far, the God of creation has revealed himself to be that he is and he is glorious. In other words, something can't come from nothing. He is the everlasting God who existed before the mountains and the oceans existed. And when we look at creation, its design, its detail, and its vastness, we go, wow, what a God. So uh, enjoy creation, but always let it be to the point that it causes you to go, wow, what a God. In creation, we also see that God is one who, here's his work. He creates, then he forms, and then he fills. Don't miss the fact that God creates in order to fill. He intends to fill this earth with the glory of God and the new heaven and the new earth will be filled with the glory of God. That is what God is always up to. He is up to filling. It's revealed in his creation. And then last week we looked at the sixth day, his final act of filling the earth, which he had created and formed was the creating of mankind. And this is significant, not just because it's about us, It's significant because mankind is uniquely created in the image of God. Like him, but not identical to him. And like him for the express purpose that we would be representatives of him. Don't miss that. In fact, if you could have your eyes for a moment. Do you recognize you are alive to rep God? Some of you are sales reps and you rep some product and you believe in the product or you don't believe in the product, but every one of us lives to be repping God. Some of us are doing a better job than others of revealing who he is, what he's like. That's why he created us, to form us, to fill us so that we would represent him. So that's the first six days. Now we're going to jump into Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. But before we read those verses, here's a question for you. Were Sundays treated differently in your home growing up? How many was that true for you? Sundays were different. Okay, if we grew up going to church, it was probably true for us that Sundays were different than other days. And sometimes it was extras, like you went to church on Sunday morning, and then in my household, the parents took a nap in the afternoon. Not any other day, but on Sunday afternoon, and woe upon the person who woke the parents up during their Sunday afternoon nap. And then back up into church Sunday night. That's what we did. Then you had Sunday clothes, and then you had Sunday restrictions. Maybe you weren't allowed to do the yard on Sunday, which was like, well, that's cool as a kid. That's awesome. When I got to Bible college, it was no homework. Six days you shall do homework, and on the seventh you shall not. 
It's not in the Bible, but that's how they applied it at Bible college where I went. So some difference on Sunday. So to varying degrees here in North, over in South, you have brought your personal thoughts into what's Sunday supposed to be like. But here's what we're going to look at. What's the biblical basis for those practices? And can I give you just a heads up from the start? Some of us may find, huh, the Bible doesn't say some of the things I thought it said, and the Bible does say some things I didn't realize it said. And when the Bible runs against what we've long practiced, sometimes that makes us uptight and makes us go, you know what that means? I'm not buying. So I am going to do my very, very, very best to sell you zero Doug Rutt and to actually sell you completely the word of God as it relates to what we do on this day we call Sunday and why we do what we do and why we don't do what we do. Where does it all come from? In fact, you may have noticed the message memo. It's a little weird. I have so much for you to write down, I gave you less space. That's a yogi bear. No, I, I gave you less space so that you would resist the temptation of trying to write everything down. Here's what I'm going to do. After third hours over today, this afternoon, you're all, if you're on our mail list, you're going to get an email with two full pages of notes of everything, all the scripture and all the points that we looked at today. And if you, as long as you know that, you can go, oh, okay, I don't, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I don't have to write it down. So I didn't plan to give you any space, but I was told in staff, oh, you have to give some space. There's just, you just can't take, people have some, need some space to write some things down. So that's your gift of some space to write stuff down, all right? It was questioned in staff whether you would actually pay attention if there weren't blanks. <laughs> Please tell me you don't come to church because of the blanks but that you come to go, let's fill in with this. All right, so here's where we're gonna jump in. Genesis chapter, we're gonna go uh, three Old Testament passages, two gospel passages, two Acts passages, and three New Testament passages. All right, first, uh, obviously, we're gonna begin Genesis chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So four observations. First, obviously, God rested from his work on the seventh day. Second, did you notice why he rested? It wasn't that he was tired. It was that he was finished. His work was completed, so he rested. Very important. Third, he says about that day what he didn't say about any other day. He blesses it and he sanctifies it. He sets it apart. But maybe most interesting and least observed is the fact that he said that about this day, but he didn't say something about this day that he said about every other day. 
He does not include the usual end of there was evening and there was morning for this day. He doesn't put an end, if you will, to this day like he did every other day. So what's up with that? Well, that's what's going to unfold, I think. So I start here in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, because God resting on the seventh day is kind of the foundational passage that most of us think about why we do what we do on Sunday. God rested, so we rest. God didn't work, so we don't work. So let's play that out through scripture. You would think that based on that, well, Adam rested, but do you know that the scripture never talks about Adam taking a day off, nor Noah taking a day off, nor Abraham taking a day off, nor Isaac or Jacob or Joseph. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but the Genesis account never records the patriarchs taking a day off and resting. And then, and you go into the book of Exodus, the, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and certainly slaves for 400 plus years didn't get a day off. In fact, we don't even see a day off show up in the scriptures until Exodus 16, when Israel has been delivered from slavery in Egypt and they are headed to the promised land. But between Egypt and the promised land is a wilderness and there's a million plus of them. And so along the way, the only way they're gonna survive is if God gives them supernatural provision food. And it's called manna. And he puts it on the ground every morning, weird stuff so that they literally every morning would get up and their food would be out laying on the ground and they would go up out and pick enough of what they needed for the day to eat. In this environment, Exodus 16, we learn this. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance. Now pause for a moment. First time in the scripture that word is used. So what I just said is it's more than 2,000 years later since the seventh day God rested and we've never even seen the word Sabbath. This is the first use of the word Sabbath. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake and boil what you'll boil and all that's left over put aside to, to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered and it did not become foul nor was there any worm in it. Uh, what's that mean? It means that on every other day, they were supposed to collect what they needed for that day. Now, some efficiency guy goes, well, why go out every day? Why not just get a whole week's worth and put it in the pantry? And here's what happened, because it will turn foul and rot with worms in it. You only, if you take more than what you need for a day, it'll rot. It's a daily provision. Except on the sixth day, it's a double portion for that day and the next Sabbath day, the day of rest, where you won't go pick it up. It says, verse 25, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days, gather it. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So here's the point. Over 2,000 years after... God rested on the seventh day with no record of anybody keeping a day of rest. The Sabbath is instituted. It's introduced. And the word means rest. 
No manna, the historical example was no manna supplied on this day, but double given on the day before, the sixth day. The people were to rest from gathering on the seventh day. This, this is the preview of what then when they get to Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments, where in Exodus 20 it says, remember the Sabbath day. They had been introduced to it in Exodus 16. Now it becomes part of their law. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, let the, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it Holy. So Exodus 20 connects this day with the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2. So the fourth commandment requires Israel to keep the Sabbath holy. And by keeping it holy, separate, sanctified, six days work, seventh rest. The Israelites were to follow that pattern that God had set in creation. This and here's what I want you to just pause and make sure you capture. This was a taste of what God had established in the garden, but lost due to sin. Now we'll unpack this more later, but here's what's happening. When God rested, he was not tired. And he does not give the day of rest but he's, because he's going, man, six days walking in the wilderness, that'd just wear a puppy out. Y'all take a day off and we'll get back at it tomorrow. It wasn't a point of, hey, you guys need some physical rest. It was to them a taste, a reminder that I am going to complete what I promised you, Israel, in the same way I completed my creation in six days and rested. Your resting now is a taste. It's stepping in to an act of believing that I will do what I said I did, would do. I'm going to complete it. What did he said he was going to do? He said, I'm going to, to Abraham, the patriarch, I'm going to make you a great nation. Were they a great nation yet? No. Did they have a land yet? No. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. That has only happened just beginning with the Egyptians. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the promise that God had given to them. It hadn't been completed yet. And so rest on this day as a reminder that I will complete what I promised. And as very practical, I'll give you food on the sixth day that will cover you for that day and the next day. See what's happening? It was a physical act to remind them of a spiritual reality. I will be your provider. I will complete what I have begun. But just so predictable. When God gives physical reminders to, remind, to, to teach us spiritual realities, we get stuck on the physical reminder. And so from this point forward, Exodus 20 forward, we have the Jewish people continuing to go, 
well, what's it mean to rest? What's it mean to not work? How far can you walk until you've worked? How much can you do until you've worked? Can you cook and not work? You know, and, and so from every angle, the question was, are you working or not working? It was like the developing of law after law after law after law. And the reason you and I in our heart of hearts often like law is because it gives us opportunity to, to go, how am I doing? Not with God, but with you. Am I doing better than you or are you doing better than me? And not working. Well, to define work. We know this becomes the point because when Jesus shows up, his constant conflict with the Jewish religious people was the Sabbath. He kept doing stuff that they were like, ah, work. And ultimately, you have Sabbath controversy after Sabbath controversy. Ultimately, I think Mark 2 describes most fully what Jesus was thinking about what had happened and what the Sabbath had intended to be. He says to them who were saying to him, you're breaking the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So, the son of man himself is Lord even of the Sabbath. Two very important points as the Sabbath unfolds in biblical history. First, Jesus is confronting the practices, the laws that made man for the Sabbath. It was robbing them of the gift that God had given to say, rest. And they were like, we can't rest. We don't know if we're resting or not. He's gone, I gave you a gift and you're actually using it as a weapon. Stop it. It's a gift to man. Man is not for the Sabbath. Sabbath is for the man. And second, and I am Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning what? I am the Lord of, what's Sabbath mean? I am the Lord of rest. Even worse than that they had taken the gift and turned it into a burden was that they had taken the gift and they were elevating the keeping of the Sabbath as more important than him, the Lord of the Sabbath. Can I just say it again? This is our constant danger, folks. We take what God has given to us and we love what he gives us instead of loving him. And so they were in love with keeping the Sabbath and were completely missing when the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the rest was within them. So they were harassing him and defending a day. And he's like, ah, oh. that was, and we'll see this in a moment. That was the shadow, the substance is here. You have lost yourself in the keeping of the physical shadow when intended, I, gave, I wanted to give you something spiritually unbelievable. Rest. Which is why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me. 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Where? In, in me, not in a day. A day was a, to be a shadow, a reminder of the person. But they had missed it. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So he invites people to come to him to find rest in him because rest is in a person, not in a day. A day was a shadow to lead to a person. Just like if you go back, there wasn't a seventh day in the sense of God said, take this day, Take me and rest in my completed work. Unending rest. So Jesus takes the focus from a day to a person. So here's what happens. He's crucified, buried, raised from the dead, ascends to the Father. The Spirit of God comes, fills the apostles. They proclaim the truth that there is life now in the person of Jesus Christ. People here repent of believing and following the law, repentant of believing themselves, and they believe in Jesus. They're born again, and they start gathering for worship. And then persecution comes in Jerusalem, and all those who were there who had believed get scattered. They run for their lives. And as they go, the gospel goes. And then in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas go out to, from Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth to take the gospel. So that Jewish people who had once trusted in the law, the shadow, hear about Jesus and believe and are born again. And Gentile people who had never followed the law of, of Moses, they hear about Jesus, they believe, they're born again. And you have believers from Jewish background and Gentile background together in church. And the wars begin, because there's no wars like church wars. The Jewish people say, we have always followed and kept the Sabbath. No working today. And the Gentiles are like, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never done that, and we have no intent of doing that. Sinners, legalists, see what's happening? So they go, who's right? That's, that's what we always want to know. Who's right? So who do you ask? They said, we'll ask the apostles. They were the designated authorities under the head Jesus. So they send the question back to the apostles in Acts 15 in Jerusalem. And here's what they say. Some of the sect of the Pharisees, the religious Jewish people, it is necessary to circumcise those Gentiles and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. That's clear what they think. But the apostles start in Acts 15, unfolds this conversation about what is the true gospel and what is required of keeping the law. And after conversation, a couple of great speeches recorded there, 
Here's what they conclude. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now just pause right there. We should all agree that if it's good for the Holy Spirit, it's good for us. Now, I say that and you go, ha, 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 yes, of course, obviously. Sometimes what's good, according to the scripture, is not always good to us because we go, no, but I've always done this and I've always thought this. And we get stuck. That was what was happening here. So what seemed good to them, which was good to the Holy Spirit? Here's what it was. To lay upon you, you believers, Gentile believers, no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Meaning what? <laughs> that's, all, that's all we got. That's the question. That's the answer. Keeping the Sabbath didn't make the list. So as we see this unfold through biblical history, the Jerusalem Council tackles, you're going to get all this notes, tackles the question of what Jewish laws, Gentiles, followers, Jesus should be required to keep, and the Sabbath is not identified as an essential for Gentile Christians. In fact, what we see later in Acts chapter 20 is on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So all that stuff where I talk too long, we've never gone to midnight. <laughs> but that's not the point. On what day of the week? The first day. See, this isn't prescribed, but it is described that believers in Jesus, in the book of Acts, are now gathering, not on the seventh day, but on the first day. Why? Because their trust and their history was not any longer rooted most profoundly in the law of Moses. It was in the work of Jesus. And the first day represented the day of the resurrection. They weren't going to remember the Sabbath, what God had done for Israel in the Old Testament. They were going to remember what Jesus had done for Jew and Gentile through his death, burial, and resurrection. And the resurrection is the point because if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you know what the scripture says? We are fools and we have wasted our lives. So if the resurrection is that important, they're going to go, that's the day we're going to gather. So a new day is beginning to be followed. Sunday in our calendar, not Saturday. So that's what happens in Acts. But what about the letters to the churches? It's very insightful to ask, okay, what did the Apostle Paul and the other apostles write to the churches about now their new life in Jesus? We get three passages. Uh, described first worship first day we already talked about here's the first Galatians 4 but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again you observe days and months and seasons and years 
You understand what he's saying? Paul is saying, you Jewish believers, you've believed in Jesus now. You are known by God and he knows you. But having come to be known by him, you're turning back to the, to the old rules and laws that you used to live by. Why? Remember, we'll see. Those were the shadow. The substance is Christ. Why are you going back? Keeping the Sabbath is going back. It's not current with who Christ is and what Christ has done. And then Paul writes to the Romans, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So what's happening here is people are saying, well, I know we don't, aren't required to keep the Sabbath, but that's still really important to me. To which Paul says, well, if your conscience requires you to keep the Sabbath, understand the scriptures don't, but if your conscience does, then you should keep it. But in your keeping it, don't make everybody else live by your conscience. That is so hard. Because when you and I become fully convinced of something, then obviously, there's the word too, obviously everybody else should be as fully convinced as we are because we believe it, it must be right. And if it's right for us, it's right for everybody. And Paul goes, stop that junk. The day has already been asked and answered. It's not an essential. If you're going to stick to it, then you can do so according to your own conscience. But you can't push it on others. It's a matter of what the New Testament talks about Christian liberty, that we have freedom within community of believers to say, I'm going to keep, but I'm not going to require you. You may do so according to your conscience, but this requirement cannot be placed on others. But understand this. You should be informed about what the scripture says. A conscience should be informed. And the scripture could not be more clear in this Paul's letter to Colossae. There is, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see what he's saying? He's gone. That is part of Jewish folks who you used to be. And it was a marvelous shadow of a day reminding of a spiritual reality, but the spiritual reality is here. And his name is Jesus. Come to him and find rest. It's not about a day any more than it's about a diet or other religious practices, 
It's about a person. And so the Sabbath, he identifies as a shadow, but the substance was Christ. The substance is always greater than the shadow, yes? Yeah. If you're not sure about that, get run over by the shadow of a truck and get run over by a truck and you'll figure it out. <laughs> a day of rest was a shadow leading to the far greater, the person of Jesus who is our rest. Now, do not miss what we have said. I promise you, you can look through all the letters. There is no command in any letter to keep the Sabbath. There is only instruction that says you don't have to. But if you do, do so according to your conscience without judging those who don't. Now, that's a lot of scripture. So here's five minutes of oxygen of a summary from the Bible project regarding the Sabbath. Watch this. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day, they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, 
the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day, and that the ultimate jubilee of freedom and rest would come, but generations go by, and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears, and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah, saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now, by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, I love that five-minute huge big picture that shows the shadow that's leading to the substance that you don't miss that this is a spiritual reality of a person in Jesus so what what do we do practically with this here's some rest conclusions based on what we've seen from the scripture first Let's not miss that physical rest is a gift from God. He ordered the days, 24 hours, day and night, to give us the gift of rest. This is all going to come to you. You don't have to write it down. God established a pattern for daily rest and weekly rest. To rest is not being lazy. See, for those who go, I just can't stop. I got to keep going. Got to keep going. Listen, work is a gift from God. Rest is a gift from God. We need it physically. But understand, we need it physically because of sin. Sin's that which ruined, marred, that which Jesus restores, but this is a result of sin. but we still live in a fallen world. So you need rest. I'm not suggesting that you should work 24 seven, seven days a week. You can't do that. So it's a gift from God to be able to work. It's a gift from God to be able to rest. Second, beware of living for rest. 
You know, our tendency is always to fall in love with the gift rather than the giver. And you just see a world that misses God but loves the gift of rest. And so they're like, man, we're living for Friday and the weekend and vacay and I can't wait till I can retire. Where did that come from? Here's where it came from. It came from falling in love with a physical gift that God gave and missing the spiritual reality behind the gift, the substance of the person. So these are great gifts. Just don't fall in love with them and miss the giver. But physical rest, did you hear this? I hope you heard it. It's not ultimately the point. It's a person. And so the rest conclusion that I hope you will not miss is the greatest gift of rest we have been given is the rest from obtaining a righteousness through our works. This is the greatest rest, and this is the rest that Jesus invited them. He didn't say, hey, come to me and I'll give you a day off. He said, come to me and I will give you a life that you cannot obtain by your own works, no matter how hard you try. I will give you new life and I will forgive you. You see, I never made this connection until this study, but watch. When God completed his work in creation, he rested. And when Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished, we can now rest in him. Rest is ultimately about completion. And that's why a day was a gift, but it had a greater reality. And that greater reality that I don't want us to miss is the person who said, it's finished. I have accomplished the work that you couldn't accomplish so that by trusting in me, you would find life as I intended you to live it. God will give you life as he intended you to live it, as you rest in the work of Jesus. That's what this is really about. And that rest is not only that he would save me, but that he would sanctify me. He not only bring me to himself, but he would make me like himself. It's like the Old Testament picture. God not only took them out of Egypt, he took them into a land. But there's quite the journey from getting out to getting in called the wilderness. And so many of us get stuck in the wilderness of saved from our sin, but not entering into the rest in the person of Jesus. Ultimately, heaven will be the full and complete return to the rest that God had created on the seventh day. I really do love the observation that it doesn't say of the seventh day. It was evening and morning. 
Did you catch it on the Bible project? They said, it's like a day without end. Yes, it's like God was intending to say, there's a rest that I have for you that is without end. And then sin squashed it and Jesus renewed it. And when we're with him, we'll enjoy it fully and completely. And heaven will be that day of resting, even though we will work, I believe, in heaven. Even in the midst of that, we will be living as God fully intended us to live before him without end. He capture, man, the Sabbath. We've turned it into this little thing, physical thing, when it's this phenomenal spiritual reality. And I'm amazed at how God built it into the Jewish culture. Once a week, seven times a year, every seven years, every 49 years, he's going, hey, 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 don't miss me. And we make it about the rest as opposed to about the person, the giver, the God of rest. So where does that leave us with the Sabbath? Or for us, Sunday? Because you may be still going, so what are you saying? Can I mow my yard or can't I mow my yard? Because it kind of comes down to that. Okay, just tell me. What am I saying about the Sabbath? or Sunday. Well, first and foremost, that every day, this whole concept of is the Lord's day. Can we, can we blow that up? How did we come up with, there was one day his and six day mine? Well, we came up with that because we, we fell in love with the shadow instead of the substance. Just like we like to think, well, 10% his and 90% mine. He gets a day and a 10% and I get six days and 90%. No, every day is his day. Every day. And if it's a relationship, then I can rest in him every day. I don't need a particular day to rest in him. Oh, I get to rest in you today. Now back to the grind tomorrow. That would stink. What kind of gift is that? But it's a gift in every day. I'm as accountable to the Lord for what I do Monday through Saturday as I am on Sunday. Yes. See, we think, oh, did I, did I keep the Sabbath? Do we somehow think God is greatly honored because we don't pull the lawnmower, but we watch football all day? <laughs> How did that turn out to be God-glorifying? And I'm not against it. And it's not against watching the Super Bowl. I'm simply saying, how does that make God even more glorified that, oh, I didn't mow my grass, but I did watch football. It's crazy. The question is, today and tomorrow, Lord, am, am I resting in you? Am I honoring you with my minutes today? And Monday morning, am I honoring you with my minutes? It's not a tithe. It's not a day. It's every day. Second, <clears throat> If your conscience declares you guilty, if you do your lawn, then don't. Seriously, then don't. If, if the word of God could set your conscience free, then the word of God ought to shape our conscience. But until then, if you're going like, Ugh, I'm mowing that people are watching. This is terrible. Forgive me, God, and shut it off. Put it away. And 
But ask yourself, why is golf this afternoon any more God-glorifying than yard work? Where'd we come up with that? Well, the old day. The day was a physical reminder of a person and the person, the substance has appeared and invited us into a relationship. Come to me and every day find rest in me. Honor me every day. You got to follow your conscience. But again, our conscience ought to be shaped by the word of God. Some of you might be really challenged right now to go, no, that's why I'm sending you the scriptures. Read it for yourself. Allow the word of God to wash you. Uh, tradition stuck with me a long time until I just was willing to go, it doesn't say that. But it does say this. Yeah, but I'm just going to do what I always did. Why? Let the scripture shape us. Third, we're not to neglect gathering for corporate worship. See, the Sabbath was distinct to the Jewish people to declare to everyone else, we, God is our provider. And the resurrection of Jesus is what defines you and I if we have followed Jesus. And so we are to gather for worship and instruction. Always on Sunday? It can be, can it be any day? Yes, it can be any day. At CFC, you can do it Sunday mornings or, or Thursday nights if your conscience allows. And I'm serious. I've had people tell me, man, I came on Thursday night and actually I really liked it. It reminded me of the old days, smaller, very intimate. It was great. But then Sunday morning it came in, I was like, I can't go outside. My neighbors will see me. I don't know what to do on Sunday. I can't really enjoy the day. And God, I really should be at church. Oh, I can't. I love Thursday, but I can't do Thursday because I feel so bad on Sunday. If, if that's where you are, no, this is where, if I was a Southern, I'd say, well, God bless you. <laughs> if that's where you are, then keep coming on Sunday until your conscience, shaped by the word of God, goes, that's just my tradition. Now, don't, don't stop forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That's a biblical command. When you do it, you, you can be free if your conscience can get shaped by the word of God. All right, so lots of words. I hope we can all, wherever we are in our conscience, I hope we can all agree that you can't talk about the Sabbath without talking about Jesus and this invitation right here. Come to me. It's not about take a day off. It's about, do you believe that he has taken the penalty for your sin, that you can rest in his righteousness? Do you believe that he has conquered sin and that you no longer are a slave to sin because Christ has come 
and set you free. What are you turning about for the future? Can you trust God? See, it's, it's ultimately rest for your souls in a person. So I'm gonna invite the men to come and pass the elements that remind us of the person of Jesus and the work that he did so we could rest in him. That's the right way to end this. So as these men pass these elements, the cracker unleavened, a simply reminder of the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ, his life, sacrifice so that you could have rest. Would you come to him, bring all that weighs you down, all that burdens you, come and bring it to Christ as the men pass and we'll take together in a moment. Savior who lifts me up, a Father who knows my need, bore my sin and took it to the dust, out of love unwavering, you said come. out with me with these elements in your hand and say to the Lord Jesus I thank you for your work to set me free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin in my life thank you for making me new in you
where I might live every single moment of every single day in relationship with you. Working in you, Lord Jesus, resting in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving yourself to me. Forgive me for loving the shadows. I want you to be my focus. Did you tell him that? It's you to be my focus this day. We rejoice in your promise, God, that you who began a good work in us will complete it. And that's where rest is, that you'll complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Would you take with me? Let's stand together and just declare that we will rest in him and his promises to complete us. out these doors today. I hope you walk out in love with the God of creation, the God who blesses us with work and the God who blesses us with rest and not just a physical rest, but a, a spiritual eternal to the core of our soul rest. That's the greatness of our God. Rest in him, whatever you do every single day. God bless.